In today's episode, Dave interviews Rob Riley. Rob is an alum of the Second City, a Joseph Jefferson Award-nominated actor, and a former writer on Saturday Night Live. Rob has been in Groundhog Day, Chicago Fire, and the 2010 version of A Nightmare on Elm Street, and co-wrote and directed and performed in the legendary show Wild Men at Chicago's Body Politic and the West Side in New York. Rob has performed at the Goodman Theater, Victory Garden, Northlight, and Steppenwolf Theater Company. I'm Ian Foley, and this is ADD Comedy. That piece of artwork is from my, is my uncle's. Two years ago, he used to live in Beverly Wood. You lived out here for a while. Didn't Not you? really. I'm just turning my cell phone off. Yeah. So. Um, he lived in Beverly Wood, and uh, which is a neighborhood west. And he he's eighty. He was eighty five at the time, and he just kind of walked away from his house for two days, and mm. he got beat up. Oh dear! And uh, the cops found him, and then we put him into an assisted living facility. Uh, and the this is his table. Uh, that's his chair. Oh, is that an Eames? That's that's it's it's from that yeah. Certainly from that his. era. And oh that yeah, circular thing is his. So all the cool furniture. Well, he was a hip old dude. Oh, he was a hip old dude, but he was also a hoarder. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and one of the things that he had, he had that painting, uh, but it wasn't. He didn't hoard it then. But he, you, know, you talk about the Flomax generation. You go, <laughs> what? How? What? Suddenly you're that. You know what I like, mean? Don't worry. You never never. Walk by a bathroom, <laughs> even if you don't feel like you need to go. <laughs> right, right. And like getting older, there was that. Did you see that picture that um, I think Helen Kaz posted of I think y'all getting gifts from Fred? Oh, Fred. Uh, yeah, Fred, Fred made. Kaz. He made these uh, little statues or caricature mm-hmm. statues out of some sort of uh, modeling substance, clay mm-hmm. or something, and painted them beautifully and it and it was each of us as the typical character that we were doing in that show mm-hmm. and then uh, he devised like a plastic uh, Cone. dome yeah. which was actually a pepsi bottle <laughs> but you, <laughs> you you know you couldn't tell that's what it was but yeah i mean no he, megan moore burns made me one yeah. uh you know megan right no of course yeah, yeah. megan made me one uh from a show that we did in ETC. Yeah, yeah. And it's the same sort of thing. But looking at all you guys. And how young we look. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. You all, you, uh, how old were you? Because I, I meant to mention something to, like, do you know how, do you know how young y'all were? Well, like everybody. Danny, Danny Breen looks like he's a kid. Yeah. Well, Danny is younger, a good deal younger than me. I was the oldest one in that cast because I was 35 already when mm-hmm. I went to work at Second City. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not sure what age everybody else is but uh yeah i was i was already uh older than most second you know time, how old were you when you got into second city 35 you yeah. were 35 when you got into yeah second city. yeah yeah and because i went straight in and then into the main stage i never did the touring company uh-huh uh-huh how did they find you well i was in the reification company That's you know right. with danny and noni and uh uh, Tom Tully, although Tom left after a while. Mm-hmm. The, the real core group was Danny, Noni, me, Bernadette Burkett, mm-hmm. and uh, Mark Nutter, right. and Dominic Bucci, who was our stage manager, but he also played guitar and pedal steel and Nutter harmonica. Nutter really young. Yeah, he, he, was, he might have even been still a student. I don't know. He was, he was pretty young but, uh, uh, and really skinny. But we knew right away when he came on board that uh, he was going to make a big contribution, which, of course, he did. Wow. And now, so have you things. seen Reanimator? No, I haven't seen oh, Reanimator. Oh, man, if you get a chance. It, it's like an opera. So he, so just to, to, to explain, Reanimator is the movie that um, was directed by... Stuart guy, Gordon. Stuart Gordon, who also... Yeah. Did Stuart direct the, the musical the, as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wrote and directed the musical mm-hmm. and... Uh, and uh, Nutter. Worked with Nutter, and it, it in, in Mark's own words, it slowly evolved into what he he calls an operetta. But the songs carry, and this was fully with Stewart's uh, collaboration, you know. Uh, but it developed into where the you know you talk about you know musical the songs should move the story along, right? right. But in Reanimator, it's mostly songs, and th- the story is. Knock me out. I think it's a great You saw show. it out here? Uh, you saw it in Chicago? I saw it. No, I saw it here at the, uh, whatever that little theater is where they were doing it here recently. 
uh, the second time around. That's right. That they produced it here, mm -hmm. and I don't think it's been produced in Chicago yet. I think. Well, I know that because they've a, done it in Edinburgh. Scotland yeah. and they've done it in New York. Yes. And it's crazy to me because looking at those pictures and talking about Stuart Gordon, who's a Chicago uh, director and the genius. And well, I was just thinking <laughs> yeah. that I was thinking that that again. I talked to so many people. Uh, coming from Chicago, it doesn't mm -hmm. matter what age, and I always, and this is the feeling that I always get: like, can you believe the talent that exists, that existed when we first started? Oh, yeah, and even before. Exactly, and 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 what's happening now, and how it's spread out yeah, all over. Yeah. I, I've gotten really interested. I get these little obsessions, and I, I got really interested in this guy that nobody seems to remember. Bob Gibson, who was a folk singer. Does that ring a bell Bob for you? Gibson was my folk star. My folks were this in the second class at Old Town School when it was on North oh. and Sedgwick. Bob Gibson was a roommate of Nate Lofton, who was the teacher at, at Hamilton. Oh. So Gibson and Camp, right. Hamilton Camp. Gibson Camp. My mom used to go to see Gibson and Camp at the Gate of Horn. Right, um, right. And um, they were friends. Yeah, which Bob which, Gibson was a which, family which all of this was happening at the same time. Bob Gibson and Hamilton Camp and all that crowd mm -hmm. around the Old Town School of Folk Music when it was on Armitage. And no, uh, this was on North. But you're oh, on North. About Armitage. But well, it used to be yeah, on North. North. It was on North before it was on Armitage. Yeah, North yeah. of Sedgwick. And that's what right. I that's what I remember going to when I was a kid. Oh man, your your, your parents were hip. They were fucking hip. Yeah. Well, my, were really my, hip. mine were pretty hip too. They took me to the Gate of Horn and, and to Second City. And, right. And. Uh, and and the other thing is that whole scene in Chicago at that time, talking late fifties, early sixties, or even mid fifties, early sixties, there was so much cross pollination. Everybody knew each other: the painters and sculptors, and folk singers, and jazz musicians, and people like Bernie right. Solins. Bernie Solins, yeah. All uh, you know that whole Compass Theater crowd. Right. There was all this cross pollination, which I think is one of the reasons why what you say is true that that Chicago has been this incubator for all kinds of talent and and even if you go a little bit later in the 60s early 70s the whole uh harry who art movement and, yes right i mean you know the, you know how i first met bernadette burkett george mm -hmm. Wentz's wife yes. and formerly in the reification company uh i met her before i got into improv i don't know whether she was into it yet or not i guess she was i think but she, I'm pretty sure she went to the Goodman School when I, it was at the Art Institute. Yeah, I, that really sounds Anyway, great. she was an actress, and her husband at the time, yes. Michael Trousman, was an Art Institute guy. Mm -hmm. And I was taking classes at the Art Institute. In what? Uh, drawing, painting. and. Do you still do that? Uh, occasionally. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to get back into it, actually, mm -hmm. uh, since I'm not, don't be, <laughs> not getting much work doing anything else. <laughs> but... Uh, uh, so uh, my then uh, girlfriend at the time, Linda Novak, she and I had a store. I don't know what you'd compare it to. Uh, you know, it was a secondhand store, but she also made clothes and was. Where was it? It was uh, at uh, Sheffield and Berry, right around the corner from the Quiet Night. Yes. Which, yes. You know, folk jazz. Yeah. First place I saw Robert Klein perform was at the Quiet Night. And he had he had left Second City by that time. Oh yeah, yeah he'd been gone for a while, but. Yeah. Um, Anyway, Bernadette, you know, Bern, you know how Bernadette is with clothes. She always looks great. Always looks great. And uh, finds weird stuff. And she She's would so co gorgeous. come into our store uh -huh. to to buy stuff. And that's that's actually where I met Bernadette. And she was also good friends of Tim and Valborg Lynn, who were good art institute people. So she she was, was she at DePaul? Because that's a no, no, now it's right? no, but good, 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 Goodman School that's right. at Goodman that time School was, was in the Art Institute, Institute right? building, or in the basement of the Art right. Institute right, right, or something. Right, right, right. right. Uh, yeah, before they moved it over to DePaul. Right. But uh, yeah, yeah, and that would have been early seventies before I got into uh, improv at all. And so they 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 yanked. What? So what's your what's your what's your uh, theatrical? Genesis, like where did you start? You're from Chicago, right? Yeah, I mean, my family moved up from Texas when I was about nine, nine years old. And what neighborhood but, did you move to? Uh, well, we we lived in Long Grove, Long Grove, which everybody always says, "Oh, the chocolate factory." Well, the chocolate factory wasn't there when I was a kid. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's like 
it seems like every place I go, it's great, and then it gets ruined. I mean, you know, I'm exaggerating, but you know, Old Town in the oh, mid '60s, you know, it was a lot yeah. different. Long Grove now is well, it's, it's know, all kitchen, fancy it's like, schmancy it's like, uh, suburb. We moved out there. We moved out there because it was so cheap, right? Because there was no, there were no toll roads. Was it farm? It was farm. It was farms. Oh, it yeah. Farm. A lot, most of the kids I went to school with were yeah. farm kids. Yeah. And then you moved from there to? Well, um, I went to college in Michigan, University of Michigan, and then I went to law school for about a half a second, and then I quit and went out to Aspen and was a ski bum for a few years. Well, so you, your, your plan was to be a, a lawyer? Or it wasn't really. My, a... my plan was to not go to Vietnam. They, Got it. They were... They were they were snatching people like me up and putting them, making them lieutenants, and their life right. expectancy was very brief. For, certainly, if you're and, a lieutenant. And and at the time, this was spring of '67, and they had changed the rules, and they said if you were in grad school, any kind of grad school, attending class by June 1st of '67, you could keep your student deferment until you finished grad school. If you were in in school enrolled on June 2nd, you didn't, you weren't going to get a graduate deferment. So I did well on my LSATs for no discernible reason. <laughs> I was completely hungover and really didn't have any interest in going to law school. <laughs> and they accepted me into an early program that started, I graduated uh, in late May and uh, as a, you know, with my bachelor's and a few days later started law school. So I kept my student deferment for a year till I couldn't, I just thought, and I began to learn. There are other ways to avoid getting in the Army than being in school. So, Did you have a lot of friends who, who died in the, uh, certainly coming from Texas and coming from... Well, from yeah, I, I had high school friends, uh, one who uh, for sure uh, got killed and another one who, who got hit in the head and was never the same. And a lot of, most of the others I lost touch with, so I don't know what happened and, to them, but. but just at that time, it must have been so, f something that, the smartest thing that the government did was to do away with the draft. That way, if you wanted to get in and you wanted to be in a war, you did it yourself. The government yeah. wasn't essentially a, a, a de facto um, death sentence, or if you will. Yeah, so, but it also, uh, uh, in terms of class, social class, you have an awful lot of people, I would think the majority, who volunteer for economic reasons and privileged people like myself uh, don't have to go. Right. So so we don't have, the citizenry doesn't have the investment in keeping the peace. If there had been a draft at the time that George W. Bush decided to go to Iraq, that wouldn't have happened, or it would have That's stopped exactly. a lot sooner. And like I said, know? I think it was a, a genius move. That way, the government could do. Yeah, from their the point of view, exactly. <laughs> yeah. They could do whatever the fuck they want to do, and it's like, hey, you know, we didn't tell anybody. Yeah, to yeah as join. long as my kid isn't getting, you know, exactly, and right, exactly. But at that time, it must it must have been so fucking frightening, because well, you know, frightening, yes, but also it it determined a lot of decisions that you made, if unless you knew you had a bad back or, or something that was going to keep you out and you didn't want to go. And uh, you had to make decisions on that basis. I, I certainly wouldn't have gone to law school. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I had a vague interest in it, but I was in a band and this was also a way to keep the band going, you know, keep playing rock and roll on and the weekends. It's so interesting because it did have, it had such, the war and the draft has such a cultural uh, led the culture in such it, a direction. It did at that time. At that time, because they were drafting a lot of people mm -hmm. right around that time. And what time did you get? And what year did you did you get drafted into Second City? <laughs> That's a pretty good way to put it. Uh, well, let me think now. That must have been eighty. Oh, eighty. Yeah, yeah. That late because I had been. I had been, and we'd had the reification company, mm -hmm. as I described, mm -hmm. which we were sort of. The other, at that time, we were really the other, uh, only other improv group. And then there were the original comedy Rangers. Yes, who was in that? Came in right around, I think Jim Fay. That's and, right. Um, 
who is eventually uh, the, Tony Papaleo, I think, who is who, not a Second City person, right? I don't think he ever did. He's yeah. still in Chicago. I saw him in a show not long ago. Did a real so nice piece of work. Yeah. And what are you What are you doing out here? I'm married, David. I know you're married. But <laughs> I'm married, you, but you moved to. I didn't know that Noni lived out here. I, oh yeah, yeah. So you 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 upped yourself and moved out here, or you were out here? Oh, uh, we're still married? we're still living in both places. You still? That's what I was wondering. I know. Yeah, you got when the married. weather gets warm, married. we'll be back in Chicago. And right. When the weather gets colder, we'll come back here, and uh, that'll probably go on for a little while. But mm -hmm. I think I think we'll probably end up out here because she's got granddaughters that's out right. here, and don't want to be too far away from them and and her daughter and son both live out here my son is uh in santiago chile well, i don't know it's some little island you never heard of off the coast of chile at the moment i think have you been there no but i hope to go down there after he gets through with classes and ski with him because it'll be ski season in june july oh i've seen pictures of you in your in your ski garb <laughs> yeah i just I've got back the uh, day before yesterday i was out in aspen because I lived out there for a few years, and I still have friends I can mooch off out there and live, uh -huh. sleep in their bed. Are you still? But you're still doing theater in Chicago. Oh yeah. Well, not not right now, but no, of course not. Right uh, that's mainly what I've been doing. You know, here's the thing. Uh, I was in the reification company, okay, and then uh, the reification company sort of started to deteriorate and and uh, and bernie hired danny and danny and noni at that time had a baby spencer he couldn't afford to turn that down you know because reification wasn't making that kind of steady money right well we did make money i mean we did a lot of corporate gigs you know did you have a theater that you played out of no we didn't and that's an interesting thing because when i left second city i went in and tell bernie i i wanted to leave and and, uh, you know, I said, I just don't feel like I really, uh, it's just not my place, you know, even though I did well. But I was already, I was older than everybody, and we had, our, and reification had already done so much. And I remember when he says, he said, to us, well, I don't understand why you guys never rented a storefront and started your own theater like we did, you know, like Second City did, because it was, you know, a Chinese laundry when they first opened up. And I remember, and I felt bad about this later. <laughs> I said, because Bernie, I don't want to be you. Because <laughs> there wasn't anybody else in reification that was going to be yeah. Bernie. You know? yeah. yeah, and that's one of the things that you look at. I, I mean, I, Alan, Alan Baranowski filled that role for, for a while. but I, I, I feel the same way. When I, look at, when I look at theater companies and see who's producing it, that person that's producing it should be producing it. And right. should not be acting and producing it. Right. And one of the things about Second City that I always loved was um, somebody was producing it. Right. And somebody was promoting it. Right. And somebody was paying for for you to be there and taking care of things like your dry cleaning and making sure the toilets are clean and right. all of that. Well, well, relatively clean. Well, relatively clean. <laughs> Have you been? You've been back there. I mean, it's just another place. It's just yeah. It's another yeah. place. It like it looks like Hilton took over. No, it's true. I mean, we we got to the point with Reification Company where we needed to do what Bernie said, become more professional on the business side, mm -hmm. and really make it into something. And uh, none of us wanted the responsibility, and, and and we didn't have a director. You know, we we didn't have a director. Mm -hmm. We didn't. It was just us. We we. I guess it was a democracy because, mm -hmm. and I we just all agreed. You know. That thing about collaboration where you go, you know, let's just keep doing this is, and, and the, the lack of ego going into all these things mm -hmm. makes it so much, makes, makes the creative process so much easier. Yeah. Because it seems to me like you didn't have butting heads well, in there, that way. There, there, there were, there was, there was some, there was some head butting with Tom. And of course we're all friends, not Tom Tully. Yeah, Tom Tully. And, and, uh, uh, but that was resolved but, because Tom took off, <laughs> you know, and and we're, you know, and I love Tom to death, and and without Tom, without Tom, I wouldn't be have get, ever gotten in the business because I was taking the workshop, Dell's workshop, mm -hmm. and Tom was in there, mm -hmm. and we got to be friends and did stuff. This is know. at Second City. At Second City, yeah, mm -hmm. Dell Dell Close's workshop. Right. And then uh, the original reification company was just basically anybody who was in Dell's workshop. Mm -hmm. 
Actually, actually, Sylvester Klish ought to get a lot of credit. You know, he's. I don't even know who that is. Well, he was the Earl's Earl of Old Town's nephew. Got it. The Earl was across the street. Right. What's and Earl? What's Earl's Earl? Earl Pianchi. Yeah, Pianchi. Yeah. He died maybe five years ago. Yeah, I believe so. I believe. There's another place that I saw I, a lot of folk music over there. Oh yeah, yeah, and 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 right across the street from Second City. Again, right. I'm talking about the cross pollination of people like Bonnie Kolak and. Right, and Steve the, Goodman, the Post, and Goodman, and right. the Second City people. Yeah, Bonnie Kolak, boy, she she was. I met her at. Uh, I met her at because um, I remember WXIT would play Bonnie Kolak all mm -hmm. the time, and I met her at an event where that was acting, and she was uh, opening. Karki Siegel and Bonnie Kolak were opening, wow. and and I got to talk to Bonnie and say, I thank you so much, and Karki Siegel, I thank you so much for what they've given us. Yeah, yeah, it was all, and it was all pretty contemporaneous. Yeah. So. We did a TV show uh, at Channel 11, the reification company did. There was some, I forget what it was called, but it was it was the best of Chicago from every field. Mm -hmm. And I forget who the jazz, it was a jazz group and, uh, and Bonnie. And I think Bonnie was kind of the headliner. She was, this was in mid, late 70s. Mm -hmm. She was really big. But Post, uh, Jim Post. Oh, Jim Post. Post was also I would see all those program. guys at the Amazing Grace. Yeah, in yeah. Evanston. Yeah, and uh, and and us, and uh, which you know we were like, okay, hey, we've hit the big time. We're on TV now, you know. <laughs> but, you Public know, television, in Chicago. Yeah, but that's all there was, I Dave. Know. There was no cable. Right. There was no internet. There was no YouTube. There was no Hulu. There was, you know, there were there were the broadcast. Stations. There was Channel Nine, Channel Five, Channel Seven, and right. Channel Eleven. Right. Know, maybe Channel Thirty Two. Channel Two, Five, yeah, Seven, two, Eleven. Yeah. And yeah. then there was then there was uh, UHF, which was yeah, UHF. But, but it wasn't 32. like you know you could put something together and, and get it up there or nope. on YouTube or you know. No. Nope. And uh, in that sense, we were ahead of our time. Oh, I, mean, I get it. I look back. We did shoot a pilot. Uh, but we didn't really have control over it, and the guy who did. Didn't really know what he was doing. God bless him for raising the money, but it never went anywhere. Um, but where? But where was there to go? You didn't have Comedy Channel. You didn't have. You didn't have cable TV. You had rabbit ears on the back of your TV set. Right, 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 right. Which makes so, me think about the time that we live in right now and the op the the world of opportunities that that exists now mm -hmm. as opposed to back then. Yeah, and also you you also were you witnessed the <clears throat> revival renaissance um, of Chicago theater in the early eighties oh, yeah. onward, and to yeah. watch that explosion, but also to be part of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, us Rivication and and Steppenwolf were contemporaneous and right. knew each other. We didn't work together really, although I have worked there and worked with them. But you know we were coming up, and we were we were outsiders. They were outsiders, uh, and uh, and you know what happened? What happened really was Richard J. Daly died, rest his soul. Things were loosening up before that, but oh, I see. Mm -hmm. but before as long as he was fully in charge, which the last few years he wasn't really fully in charge, so things were loosening up. Because you remember. Uh, Lenny Bruce was arrested for obscenity, you know, at Mr. Kelly's. Yep. And, and just a few years later, here we are on the stage at Sylvester's using every obscenity and making fun of the Catholic Church and every everything. And there are cops in, at the bar laughing their asses off. Of course there you are. Know, but, but I always compare it to Spain when Franco died. When Richard J. Daly died, and particularly because uh, Belandic, who, of course, was... So, to you go. know the blizzard and everything. Right, the, he mayor was the mayor Blandic. after the mayor. After. And his wife uh -huh. was uh, Heather or something or other. Right, and she was big on the arts. She was yeah. kind of like Maggie Daly, Richard M. Daly's wife. She she was. That's why there was Chicago Fest. Yep, started with with Blandic, and it was Heather Blandic yeah, who I, made who really made that happen. And all of a sudden, instead of if you tried to open a storefront theater earlier, there'd be inspectors. Inspecting every little thing. That's a fire hazard. This is this, and, and and here's you know here's my open hand. Right, grease it. Cr grease it, and you couldn't get anything started. You right. know, I think you you couldn't start a little storefront theater. 
and, and keep it going because the city didn't want it. Just like Richard J. didn't want anybody making movies in Chicago. I remember that. To you make know? Chicago look bad. Yeah. Make my, they had M Squad, the TV show with Lee Marvin, and he made life as tough for the producers of M Squad as he possibly could because it depicted Chicago as a place where crimes were committed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I remember, I clearly remember, I remember him saying, we don't want to have filming here because I think it was to erase the idea of uh, Chicago. Eh, yeah, you know, yeah, the, the oh, mob, exactly. And it was also just, uh, he, 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 wasn't, he, he wanted to have control of every little thing, you know. And uh, now, now they, the state of Illinois has elected a Republican governor, this guy Rauner, and he's already cutting funding and firing Pete Fire, the woman who was the head of the Illinois Film Commission for years and has brought all these you know, there's half a dozen series being shot in Chicago now. A cop so series, a fire series? There's a there's Chicago PD, Chicago Fire, something called Sirens, where right. they're, you know, they're like paramedics. Uh, Empire, which is this huge that's hit right. that's shot in right. Chicago. Right, right, But, you know, you got to, the city and the state have got to, well, I mean, Schwarzenegger has got a lot to answer for here, too. I yes, mean, he, he drove a lot of production out of of California. It's just so crazy to me, the idea of uh, uh, this rounder guy in in Illinois. I just don't understand how people vote for someone that is so clearly against their 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 self-interest. Mm. And that, that that's the one thing I don't understand. All over the happened. country. Exactly. Well, you know, I just came across this quote the other day. Um, Lyndon Johnson said, uh, all in politician... I'm, Paraphrasing, all a politician has to do is make the poor white folks feel like they're better than the colored folks, than the most educated, refined, and uh, wealthy black man is is lower than the poorest uh, white man, and he will not only let you pick his pocket, he'll pull the money out of his pocket and give it to you, yep. the white man. Yep. And and that's, I believe, what's behind so much of it. But in, in Illinois' particular case, not to turn this into a well, politics, it's, Illinois politics, but well, but it's called Quint, ADD. Quint, we get to call. We could go any. Really yeah. Well, by the way, yeah. I meant to ask you about that because uh, I was just thinking about somebody who's like you know just screws them through the blogosphere who happens to have the condition ADD. <laughs> oh, ADD! This is a this is a podcast for me. And he then he put, turns it on. And then it's a couple of guys talking about well, Chicago in the seventies and going on and on for an hour about that's why, it. That's why we call it ADD comedy. Yeah. You got to figure out. You're doing that. I bet you do get a few. But maybe, but maybe it's therapeutic. David. I would say so. Maybe because we're going. You want to go in these directions? We're, we we have, have that's, a direction. That, that's true. That exactly. is true. That, that, you do have a point. You know, so you're saying that we digress so much that it we, is ADD. Well, there is no digression if you go. There's no direction. If there's no direction. There's no digression. <laughs> That's good. I like. I remember that. Uh, yeah, but 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 you see, Quinn, who was the governor of Chicago, was a real reformer. Patrick Quinn. Patrick Quinn, mm -hmm. uh, governor of Illinois, right. and he really did not have the support of the Chicago organization or the Democratic state organization. So they didn't give him what he needed to beat Rauner. You know, it's just like Daly, the first, was perfectly content to have a Republican governor. Because that meant he was the most powerful Democrat in the state. Got it. And I, I, I think Rahm Emanuel is a little bit the same way. I, I'm looking at. I remember Quinn when I was in Chicago, certainly in my high school and college days. He was Patrick Quinn was in charge of the Citizen Utility Board. Right. He, he invented it. Yeah. yeah, he invented it. He was a real outsider reformer. And, right. Maybe not the most skillful infighting, backstabbing politician. You know? right. And I think that that was it because he's looking at something that's more utilitarian yeah. and and, fact, and factual than something that would be uh, having any kind of uh, philosophy or yeah. you know level of truth to it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what's interesting to me, again, because I've never heard the reason that Chicago theater bloomed was because Daly died, but that's essentially... Well, that's my, that's my belief. I think it's great. I, it totally makes I mean, it's sense practical, to me. It's purely practical. You could, you could rent a little storefront mm -hmm. and start a theater company, and the city wouldn't come in and shut you down. In fact, they began to encourage it. Yes. And then after a while, it was obviously good for the city. I mean, it brings in millions of dollars. 
And, uh, and also, it's yeah, right, right. It does bring in millions of dollars because it doesn't just bring in millions of dollars coming from a production and a huge production at you know at the Chicago Theater, wherever you're going to put it. But it also it's that trickle down where you go, okay, somebody needs to teach these people. Somebody needs to house the people that are coming in. Somebody needs the somebody needs somebody needs to feed the audience. You exactly. know, so the restaurant up and down where Steppenwolf is, it used to be. Not much of anything. My dad had a building across the street where the Royal George is. In that building, uh -huh. third floor, uh -huh. my dad had a gas can manufacturing company. Third floor. Uh -huh. Beautiful wooden floors. That cabinet right back there is a remnant. That's the one thing. That, that wow. wooden cabinet. Very so nice. he owned this gas can manufacturing plant right across from Steppenwolf Theater Company uh, on Halstead. Uh, so that neighborhood, I know that neighborhood, and Sam's Liquors was right on the yep, corner. Yep, yep. Uh, Sam's Liquors, right? Sam's Liquors. Yeah, Sam's Liquors. And now uh, that's where Steppenwolf has, uh, they have a rehearsal hall. Right? Yeah. Well, there was always a big uh, room on the top of the, like a ballroom on the yeah. top of that building. Oh, my God. And the, you've been in that room, yeah, right? You no, know, I rehearsed in that you room. You rehearsed in that room, right. in the old days, I think they had dance bands yeah, up there Yeah, I think it was something. a German something, something like that. club. But now there. you got... Mainly because of Steppenwolf and the Royal George, you got restaurants and all up and down that street. People are coming in from the suburbs and to see theater. People right. are coming from out of town to see theater at Steppenwolf. So that's just pure, free, clean money for the for the city. Yeah, know? right. So, you know, it's non-polluting. It's, you know? it's 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 really it's also really encouraging for an actor to come to Chicago. Yeah. To do a show. Yeah. Or to to come to Chicago and start your career there, or to come to Chicago and it, have it. It still there. is the best place to come and start a career. You know, it's not necessarily the best place to stay, like I did. Although I I made good money and you know for a long time, and uh, chose to stay. But uh, but for young people coming up, there's there's so much opportunity. I my my son is a uh, ensemble member of a storefront theater called the corn servitory uh, why it's corn it's, I, I, it's lost Illinois, in the history Illinois, of, maybe? yeah i don't know but uh they they it's not primarily an improv theater but on uh, weekends they often have something called improv gladiators which is similar to improv olympic uh, except they can't call it olympic anymore I know. Uh, because there's such a threat to the olympic committee and right. we all know how clean and honest and upright the olympic committee is Don't start <laughs> anyway <me>. anyway <laughs> they do these competitions with improv teams mm -hmm. and they sometimes get me to come and be one of the judges which is sort of a joke but uh the it's unbelievable how many teams they are most and they're nurtured at io right and at Second City, which is uh, Second City is like a university now with all these levels and everything. But these kids come in to compete at uh, Improv Gladiators at the Corn Servitory. And almost all of them are pretty good. And some of them are knock your socks off good, you know. I, I go back to Chicago and I think the great thing, the thing that I like about Chicago Improv is there seems to be the DNA of theater that is in the improv, in, mm -hmm. the, in the improvisation. So DNA of acting, yeah. which I know that all improv is acting, but there seems to be a stronger thread, if you will, of acting in it. So it's not just like, we're going to tell a joke and you're going to get a laugh. We're going to tell a joke, you're going to get a laugh. Uh -huh. The uh -huh. scenes are longer, it uh -huh. seems. The scenes are longer. There's a more of a, a commitment, an actingly commitment, I know that's not a word, to that than other places that I've, that I've seen. Well, I think so. I, I mean, I, I probably haven't seen enough other things, but I do, I do. From what I have seen out here in Los Angeles, I think on the one end you have these wonderful opportunities because you never know who's going to be in the audience and Jesus. who might give you a job. Right. But at the same time, people are performing with that in mind. They're not, not everybody, but. A lot of people, I think, are in the back of their heads thinking, I've got to look good. I've got to, this is my chance in case somebody important who's going to do me some good is in the audience. You know, in Chicago, nobody important is going to be in the audience. <laughs> I mean, it does happen. I mean, like, like the time when we, we, were, we were doing a Friends of the Zoo show mm -hmm. oh, yeah, with yeah, Pete yeah, yeah. Burns, mm -hmm. and there was a song that Mark Nutter wrote, mm -hmm. and... Uh, it was uh, 
the premise of it was it was this guy who would become a star by being cruel to the audience. Mm-hmm. He was a he was a, like a Frank Sinatra only taken to the farthest extent. And at one point, Pete would go up the the aisle and pick an audience member and say, "Hey, you, where'd you get that hair? You know, eat lead." He's got a phony pistol. Eat lead or go get a shave. And so on's over. So he goes up the aisle and he picks a bald headed guy. Uh, because he thinks that'll be funny, and uh, does that verse, and then after the show, somebody says, "Jesus, Pete, didn't you know that was Hal Prince?" <laughs> <laughs> so that's why Pete Burns is the huge Broadway star that he is today. <laughs> so occasionally they do show up in Chicago. <laughs> he goes up to Hal Prince and you go get a shave. <laughs> did you? Did you have? We had uh, the audience in Second City. We had the greatest people would come to that. I remember um, uh, Rita Moreno came to the show. I remember, um, uh, God, who else, who else is there? The people that would be in the audience and we'd be, get to play with those people was just unbelievable. But you, you weren't to think, oh, oh my God, right. I got a show that I can sing and dance because no. Rita Moreno was in the audience. You know, right. she was just another person she, in the audience. Exactly, and, exactly, exactly. But I, you know what, you're right. I was, I was doing a show the other night and there was a guy who was... Uh, who I played with a lot, and I keep kept watching him going, what is he doing? And what he was doing was he was downstage left, and he was projecting as if he was talking to somebody that wasn't on stage with him. <laughs> and it seemed like you, you're you playing for the laughs, you're not playing for the connection. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And, it, and I thought, you know what? I don't want to play with people like that anymore. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Because uh, your your job is to take care of each other, right? You know, yeah, yeah. Your job is to that take was care that of was you. always the greatest satisfaction. The greatest satisfaction to me was when I could see something coming, and you know, on stage improvising, and not to fall into the trap of storytelling or trying to steer the scene too much, but say, here's a here's a here's a, opportunity for me to add a building block to this and another building block somebody else adds it and then it pays off that's so not because you are thinking oh oh i'll get a laugh if i say this but that kind of saying oh this is this scene could go this direction and you do or say something that nudges it that way and then eventually it pays off and it's probably some other actor who finally says the line that releases the laugh, uh, you I, know. But 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 then I'm back going. Eh, that's my laugh because <laughs> I, I said something five minutes ago that's, that you know, was the building block that I totally uh, understand that. I totally you know understand that. I abs- I understand all of that. I understand all so, that. And, that, that's, and that's why uh, so many people come out of Second City not only as. Uh, competent performers, but writers, because you are, you are writing on your feet. Now, what I don't understand nowadays, or I, I don't, I guess I understand it, but I don't like it, is that it appears to me that at Second City these days, an awful lot of stuff is coming in already written. Yes. You know? uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know that. I think that that's what it, that, Well, there was a documentary it. on probably Channel 11, the PBS station, a while back, where it was showing the the, built, the making of a second season. Oh, yeah, show. yeah. That was Nick's show. That, uh, yeah, Nick it was Napier's a show. Napier show. Uh, that was, that was the, Belushi did the VO on that. I don't I think. Okay, I anyway. don't remember. But, yeah. but I just remember watching it going, that's not the way we did a show. Because mm-hmm. they were coming into rehearsal with stuff they'd written at home. Mm. And, you know, some of that happened. And certainly if you got a suggestion that, that worked with something that you'd already been thinking about. You could take the suggestion and you know make it make it work with what you'd been thinking about. But uh, our big thing in the reification company was we improvise. Period. We don't ever write anything, or mm-hmm. you know whether it was purity or laziness, combination of the two maybe. Uh, but uh, we we you know we we really felt we were the you know. We were Opus Dei. We were purer than any, you know, attitude. And when you got into Second City, did that? How how did did you have to adjust to that? No, I really don't feel like I did. And maybe it was just because of the the bunch that I was in, the group that I was in. I came in 
I replaced George Went mm -hmm. in the first place, which was a bit of a cope because he he was doing Cardinal Cody, which you'd have to be a Chicago. Right. Cardinal Cody was a big heavy guy. Yeah. And I at that time was not heavy. And then I also had to do uh, Harry Carey, the sports yeah, the sports caster, you know, and Harry Carey, that voice kind of like this, you know, oh, you know, <laughs> hey, no, hey, hey, was Jack Brickhouse, uh, yeah, whatever, whatever it was that yeah, Harry yeah, Carey said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, holy cow. <laughs> yeah, holy cow. So I had to do that voice, and within a few weeks, I completely lost my voice <laughs> and had to take a week off. But uh, and Danny played Jimmy Pearsall. Yeah. If you remember the movie, oh yeah, with, yeah, yeah, the movie with Anthony Perkins. Yeah. Pearsall lost his uh, mind. Fear strikes out. <laughs> yeah, fear strikes out. Danny, yeah. Danny, every uh, every time we'd we'd uh, do this scene, uh, uh, you know, Danny would flip out at some point. <laughs> and Danny flipping out is a really great thing. Also, <laughs> yes. I tell you. It's a really really great. Thing. Like thinking about it right now, Danny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and he'd be in the like it was supposed to be the two of us doing the news uh, as newscasters, not sportscasters. But in the middle of the thing, you know, it'd be some news story, and Danny would lean forward to the audience and go, "Is that good enough for you, Dad?" <laughs> <laughs> Stuff like that. But that was that was tough. I mean, a George is so funny. Yeah. But B, I'm such a completely different physical thing. So that was that was the adjustment that you had to make. It wasn't no, but an adjustment. Yeah, in then once, but, the, but in the sets. Right, right. The Nothing sets matters. were exactly yeah. like reification. They uh -huh. were pure improv. I've gone in and tried to do the set in recent years, and I don't understand what they're doing. I, I, they're not taking suggestions and then going back in the green room. Nope. And I remember your podcast with George, what, where George said... <laughs> He, he said, I'd go back in the green room and they'd put all these ideas up on the board. And I, I think if you recall, he said, I just go, well, uh. <laughs> but of course, everybody wanted George in their scene because he yep. was so. He's George. Funny. He's so funny. But to me, that was, a, that was the most, perhaps as exciting a part of the evening as actually performing. Because, you know, he, Perk was the. Perkins was the stage man's name. Yeah. Put the suggestions up on the board that somebody had gone out and taken. Right. And then you're like, you know, then you're all your synapses are going a hundred miles a and, and second also, and, and coming up with ideas. And yeah. then you get out on stage and make them come to life. And, and then it's recorded. And if you want, you could. I mean, it's recorded. And if you want, you can watch them later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or if you want, you can watch them later and then start crafting a scene on it. Right. Right. Too. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And then and then you would find ways of of redoing a scene in the set because you'd get a suggestion that was similar enough. Right. But when we, well, we, I say we, I certainly never wrote anything down, but, but I, I do have, I, what I think is kind of a funny story about the, the videotaping because they mm -hmm. had a cam video camera, black and white video camera yeah. up in the raft. And it's a security cam. Yeah. And like then, essentially a security cam. And then cam. somebody would have, to, then, uh, uh, Michael, um, you McCarthy? Know, McCarthy yeah, for yeah. a while when he was working in the office. It was his That's job right. to transcribe those things. Right. So you, somebody would transcribe them and make them into a script to give to the understudy. So I forget who was out sick or went to a wedding or something and the understudy came in. And we had a scene uh, with uh, Bruce, Lance, it was all the men in the Lance cast. Kinsey. Bruce, Yeah, Lance Kinsey, Bruce Jarko, Bruce Jarko Lance uh -huh. Kinsey, myself, J uh, Jim Belushi. Mm -hmm. Um and if I'm leaving anybody out... Who's the woman? Because I'm old. Uh, well, at first it was Nancy Kelly, Bruce's wife, and mm -hmm. then she left and Megan Faye came in. That's right. And Mary Gross. Yes. Who I also got to work with at Saturday Night Live. Um, but oh, uh, right. we had a scene... You wrote it Saturday Night Live for a uh, yeah, yeah, for a season. Yeah. But uh, there was a scene of guys doing the laundry for their wives at the laundromat. And guys trying to be macho and turn doing the laundry into like a basketball game because, you know, we were macho men. That was the premise of the scene. Well, of course, after you run a show for a while, you start to screw around. <laughs> and you come out and you're not saying the words. As long as Bernie's well. not sitting on the bench, you're not saying the words. Right. You're completely turning it into something else. And so we had an understudy rehearsal. And I forget who the understudy was. And he's saying all this stuff that's not in the scene. And we're like, that's not in the scene. What are you saying? And he said, well, yeah, it is. Here's the script. <laughs> but just by accident, 
whoever was uh, transcribed the one night where we were screwing around and changing, changing everything around. The poor guy had memorized it, you know. And, it was just, and, and none of us re even remembered doing it. So we're like, no, that's not the way it goes. Oh, I love it. I love those little quirky things that happen because it's so... It's, it's, to work at Second City is unlike working at any other place because the culture there... Well, first off, to be a director at Second City is probably the most thankless job on the planet. It absolutely... No one... It, you don't get... No one helps you out. No one tells <laughs> as, you as what As the it director. Yeah. Exactly. No yeah. one helps you out. No one tells you what to do. No one tells you how to do it. Uh -huh. Um... And and you talk about sitting back and going, oh, that laugh, that's my laugh. How many times when I was directing main stage, Joe, and it's like, hey, what a laugh, I would love it. And I'm going, that's my laugh. And no one, <laughs> you don't, don't get any credit for that. Of course, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, well, it, it works the other way, though, too. One show that I opened there, the title of which I forget, is very dark. Uh, it was the it was the one that comes to mind was Wisconsin Death Trip, which was purely a couple in a car listening to the radio, and Bruce Jarko's off stage being the local DJ of some little town in Wisconsin, and he's doing the news or whatever, and it just gets darker and dark, you know, it's like zombie, you know, it's, and and uh, a lot there were a bunch of scenes like that that just were quite dark, and Dell was directing us, Dell mm -hmm. Gross was directing us. And the king of it, darkness. Yes, as is so often the was so often the case. Uh, may Satan rest his soul. Uh, I know he'd be offended if I. No, 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 nope. Uh, he something went. Something happened and Dell disappeared, and and Bernie was off on a trip up the Nile on his, his cruise ship or something. So it was just us and Fred, which by yeah, the way Fred is yeah, 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 which by the way is enough. Yes, Fred yes. was enough. Yes, but the so Dell really had very little to do with the show. We pretty much directed ourselves, with Fred keeping us from going completely off the rails. And uh, the review ran in the Tribune. The reviewer at the time is named Larry Cart. I mean, since I don't know what has happened to him, uh -huh. but he wrote this very positive review. But most of the review was about the genius of Del Close and how, how obvious that the how dark this was, and right. that's because of the Del Close influence, which to some small extent was true. But mostly, Del was there for about a week, <laughs> and we re we created the show ourselves. Oh, but I, I the show that I did was just a total. I felt like uh, when I look at it back on. My experience at Second City was one of my darkest was when I directed this one particular show at Second City and I was not getting any help from the uh, from the cast. It was mm -hmm. right after 9-11 and they were really fried. They were toast. Mm -hmm. And it was as if they didn't want to take anybody's direction and they were burnt. They were mm -hmm. also fucked over when uh, because of 9-11, who wasn't, yeah. but they were fucked over in this way in that they had a show that was supposed to open up the 9-12 and oh my god so everything they had to stop but i came in like a year after that and um i could not i felt so frustrated and i've done 10 shows over there and i directed a lot and i had such a hard time with these people uh and the review came out it was the worst review ever oh. blaming me <laughs> you and blaming me and going you know what? Fine. Fuck it. Let's just walk away from that. But it was like PTSD going, I, oh my God. Oh my God. I just couldn't. I think that, I think it was true for everybody, no matter what you did for a living or that year or more after maybe we're, oh, I think we are still in PTSD. I think that. we are for sure. Otherwise we wouldn't be over in Iraq and there wouldn't be ISIS and all this craziness going on over there. That whole thing, just, I, you know, that whole thing, bug, I can't, again, going back to the idea of why are people against their best self-interest? And I also think we live in a time where if you're curious, there's a way to answer your questions. If you want to know something, Google it. If you right. want to know, like, but this idea of living in an insular world, living in a world where, you know, we listen to one news source, right. not one news source, whether it's Fox or MSNBC, we get to be curious. Yeah, we get to be, but too many people aren't, you know, choose, choose to only look at or listen to one source. If you don't mind my digressing again, since no, it's an ADD hour. Yeah. Uh, backing up to when Mayor 
Richard J. Daly died. The reification company had a show that night, and we had made fun of Daly ever since the group began. So we're like, what are we going to do? The guy just died, you <laughs> right, know. Right. And, 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 and our audience was definitely not a pro-Richard J. Daly audience. You know, it was hippie, beatnik, uh, anti-establishment people were mostly who came to Sylvester's and where was that? Where was that? It's, uh, it was a corner of like Seminary and uh, Lincoln. Oh yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, I know exactly. where Seven Eleven in there. Or yeah. Something else. No, I had a girlfriend that was in seven, right around the corner on yeah. Seminary. Schmeising's Bakery, Singers, oh, uh, yeah. Butcher Shop. Right. <laughs> all gone. All gone. All gone. Dave. All gone. <laughs> right. Right. Anyway, right so we came out. The Apollo Theater over there. Keep going. Yeah. Yeah. A little, little, little up the street yeah. from the Apollo. So we came out, and one of the first scenes, somebody made. Uh, you know, off of, a, off, of, off of an audience suggestion, made some very mild reference to Daly, and you could just feel the room freeze. You know, just, if anything, there was a, <gasps> you know, a gasp. But it didn't matter that everybody in that audience was anti-Daly on Tuesday. Daly died on Wednesday. It was like Daddy died. You know, I mean, he had been the mayor so long right. that nobody in that room could ever remember anybody else being the mayor of Chicago. And uh, it was an it was a it was a lesson a lesson learned. Well, I I remember you know for me the same. I remember I remember when he died. It was one of those things where you remember when Kennedy died. You remember when Martin mm-hmm. Luther King, when Bobby died. You remember when all these things. Yeah. Certainly nine eleven. But I remember. I felt the same way about him. Um, like what the fuck? And then when he died, I was so moved by it that I waited in the cold at City Hall to view his body. Did you really? Yeah, I did that for Harold Washington. I didn't do it for Dick Daly, but but there there was that feeling, you know, it was, it, like a family. Even if you 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 hated your dad, like because uh, he was such a jerk, you right. know, and he wouldn't let you go out and drink beer or whatever, you know, when he died. And nobody knew what was going to come next, too, because they hadn't provided a, in the Constitution of the city. They didn't really know who was mayor for a few days. He uh, was a we, deputy. Wasn't Belandic a deputy mayor? He was an alderman. No, I mean, oh, was the, an alderman. The, guy, the right. guy who really should have been mayor was Wilson Frost, yes. who happened to have the wrong complexion. Yes. Uh, in other they words, he was black. Yeah. And they scrambled around and, and reinterpreted the city charter so that they had to have a special they had the alderman elected i think the alderman put uh put uh i'm not sure put Belandic in place well that would make but, sense that yeah. certainly would make yeah, sense yeah they wanted to keep it in yeah. that right i mean frost was an inju- he was an organization man he was a part of the machine but mm-hmm. he was he was black right anyway uh i was in the green room at at second it was a monday night we weren't supposed to be working but it was one of joyce sloan's fundraisers for her Some favorite uh, yeah, charity yeah, or whatever. Yeah, I forget I, what it was. Yeah. So none of us were very happy about having to work a seven-day week. You know? right. uh, and the phone rings in the green room. Remember, there was a regular yeah. phone with a cord on it. I remember it. that. You might have even had a dial, Dave. I don't know. <laughs> 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 or maybe you picked up and you say, Mildred? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, I don't think it was quite like that. But it was a regular phone. The phone rings and Mary Gross answers it and after a couple of seconds she just bursts into tears and we're like oh, oh god something happened to jay jay king the great photographer who did a lot of the photography of the of the second city in those days why did you think it was jay king because they were boyfriend and girlfriend oh, I see. okay uh-huh. and he rode a motorcycle mm-hmm. and uh, uh-huh. we're like oh fuck oh jesus something happened to jay and uh, she hangs up the phone and says john lennon is dead and he had, it was the night he was shot and I think we were all in tears for a little while. And then the next night was a Tuesday, and we had to come out and do the show. So so we decided we can't, I don't know whether we got a suggestion of John Lennon's death or or we just decided we had to deal with it and shoehorned a suggestion. But we did a scene. Makes me want to cry now. It made us all cry. Made the audience there were some laughs in it. Do you remember what it was? Uh, it was a bunch of people uh, 
getting ready to play a John Lennon LP and talking about it, you know? Right. There were some laughs in it. But, I mean, it's an illustration of how improv doesn't have to be funny. Right. And, and oftentimes it's the funniest when you are not trying to be funny. So we definitely did have some laughs in that scene. But, uh, you know, people come to the theater as they have before the word theater was invented for uh, catharsis. And usually in what you and I do and uh, improvisers do, that releases laughter. But it doesn't always have to. No. And, and it's not the only time I've been involved in a scene where there were no laughs and there weren't intended to be because it was something about human beings and tenderness that uh, you can improvise that and it can be very effective. I think that it goes back to those people that are playing for the collaboration versus those people that are playing for the laughs. Yeah. Because when you're on stage with the people that you talked about that Tuesday, um, when you're on stage with those people, you trust that they are all in that same yeah. gestalt that you are in that moment. Yeah. And to go, we're all in this together. And anybody that pulls out of that seems to me to be someone that doesn't trust, that, that, can't, that can't deal with the emotional content right. that we are all going through at that moment. Even, even when it's funny. You know, uh, Jim Belushi, and I think it started with Will Porter, who's now Will, what's Will's? I don't know that he, I don't know. He changed his name. Anyway. Mm -hmm. um, and it was based on an evening that Jim spent with his brother John drinking at the White Horse Tavern. Right, I, the White Horse. The White Horse Tavern scene, where you shoot <laughs> over the head, dead, gone dead, and it's this whole list of people. And then... Sometime, not right away, but sometime after John died, uh, and Jim, if he ever listens to this, maybe he can correct me. Maybe I'm wrong, but I think it was Jim and Bruce Jarko. Or maybe it was Lance Kenzie. Anyway, they did that scene. And, of course, the resonance was completely different because it was still a very funny scene and still got big laughs. But everybody in the audience knew that this time around, this scene is about John, this performer's own brother, right. you know, who he really loved. Yes, in spite of all the sibling rivalry. That, oh, certainly, but but the, I mean that family. There's a dynamic to that family that to the everything that's going on. Well, you know, they told me a story when I was hitchhiking around Europe, and you couldn't get into Albania then because it was still, you know, red the reddest oh, yeah. red country. Mm -hmm. It was like 1970. People said, "Well, if you ever do, if you ever are able to get into Albania, and uh, and you meet like a farmer or something, you'll you're a stranger. It's his responsibility to look after you and to do everything for you, to feed you, to give you a bed to sleep in, and everything else. And he'll offer all of that to you. And if you do, if he does, you better say yes, because otherwise he will kill you." <laughs> <laughs> and there was always, you know, you know. I mean, Jim and John are as American as anybody, but there was always, uh, uh, there was always, you know, that, uh, you know, loyalty very important to those boys. I saw, I saw Jim do it with Rob. I saw Jim do it with his with son his, Rob. Do that scene with do his, that scene. With, yeah, he did. Wow. He did that scene at Second City Fiftieth. I was there, but I guess I didn't. I, well, I was. Where you might not have been in that cast, or I, I, I did. Were you, were you I, I was. I mean, I was. I didn't perform. I was. I saw. I was them, in I the saw, building. I see. You know, I saw a, them both perform. Yeah. I saw them both do it. I saw them both do it. Yeah. And I think that was the first wow. time I saw. I think that was the first time I saw Jim performing a scene, scripted scene, because I, I was gone before he. Uh, he was gone before. Well, before. you know, Rob Belushi, for the record, is a really fine young actor. And I've a had him really the, sweet yeah, kid and a and a great a great actor who's having a really great career. I saw I saw him do a show in uh, Chicago at Northlight Theater up in Skokie. I, I forget the title of it, but it's the first time I saw him perform, and it called for 
singing and dancing as well as some very serious stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, I was, and I, you know, I knew him when he, I mean, he was born while Jim and I were both in the cast at Second City. And uh, uh, so, you know, knowing him off and on forever. And I was just, I was knocked out. What a good little, good little. He's not a little, a good young actor. Right, he is. right, 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 right. And he has gone in its own direction. Yes, he has. He and, has. And again, there's a guy with so much Chicago, not spirit, but so much Chicago influence in what it is that he's done. Uh -huh. Second City, he's done Northlight, he's done Steppenwolf, mm -hmm. plus he's done television and he's done movies. Mm -hmm. And not only that, but he's a handsome guy. Yeah, yeah. And I'm really. Go figure. Well, of course, his mother is good looking. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I remember going over to their house. I don't know why I was over at their house when they lived in um, Wicker, not Bucktown. They lived in Bucktown. They had a little, they had a little bungalow in Bucktown. And for some reason, I was over there. And I remember thinking, that is a very attractive woman. Really attractive <laughs> Sandy, woman. yes. Yeah, Sandy, very yeah. attractive woman. Um, well, let's end on that. We'll, uh, that uh, real, all right. We'll end on very attractive woman. Hey, my wife Noni uh, Newton Riley is also a very attractive, very attractive woman. woman. Let's get that down uh, <laughs> that. On, on the Noted. record here. Noted. Thanks, Dave. Thank you for listening to ADD Comedy. For Dave Rosowski, I'm Ian Foley. For more information on Dave, you can go to his website at www.davidrosowski.com or follow Dave on Twitter at drosowski.